Hello, and welcome back to Ministry to State's Bible Study through the book of Daniel. My name is Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State, and today we are going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3. In this chapter, we come to one of the most famous lines in all the Bible. Several years ago, when Christopher Nolan released the film Dunkirk, a story began recirculating about a British naval officer trapped at Dunkirk who cabled just three words back to England. But if not... It was 1940, and the British Army was trapped between the sea and the oncoming Nazi military force. In the face of utter annihilation, an officer of these soldiers requested rescue from the British Navy. The message in that brief communique was simple. They would either be rescued by their country, or they would die fighting on the beaches. But there was one thing they would not do. They would not capitulate to the Nazis. The three-word message was a reference to Daniel 3.18, the centerpiece of the story we will be studying today. And those words galvanized a countrywide rescue mission. Around the time of the release of the film, a flood of devotionals poured forth, comparing the biblical literacy of Britain in the 1940s with the American biblical illiteracy today. Certainly there is something to lament when we consider the loss of biblical understanding. I heard a story about Camille Paglia, the academic and critic, a while back, and she recounted her recent experience teaching Western literature at a university. When she referenced Moses, a student raised their hand and asked who that was. Paglia went on to wonder how she could possibly teach Western literature to a class that didn't even know who Moses was. But not only in academia, also in our churches, biblical literacy has declined. So while the decline is something to observe, that's not what I want to focus on as we begin. What I want to focus on is the epic nature of the quote. It has all the features we look for in a heroic quote, something like, go ahead, make my day, or then we will fight in the shade, or even the great Texas quote, come and take it. The quote is courageous. It is resolved. It is laconic. It is meant to inspire. It is meant to encourage our faithfulness out of the goodness of God. We'll look more at that as we go, but for now, consider the function of their response in this story. To begin today, we will be looking at the third chapter of Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It is a story with which most of us are probably familiar, and if we're not familiar with the story proper, we have probably heard some reference to it. We're going to break the chapter down into five parts, looking at each of them in turn. Part one describes the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Part two involves the accusations against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Part three is the response of these men. Part 4 includes the punishment for their faithfulness, and Part 5 concludes the story with Nebuchadnezzar's response. So now let's take a look at each part in turn. Part 1, Daniel 3, 1 through 7. There are several literary elements in these opening verses worthy of our observation. If you read the passage, the first is one that you probably noticed. Seven times in the first seven verses, the phrase or some iterate of that Nebuchadnezzar had set up is repeated. It occurs twice in verse 1, once in verse 2, twice in verse 3, once in verse 5, and once in verse 7. This repetition is no mere redundancy. If you'll remember from chapter 2, part of the issue with human kingdoms is that they are set up by man and they succeed each other one after the other. Human kingdoms are ultimately set in stark relief with the kingdom of God that is established by God and will never be removed. As the author repeats the phrase seven times, there is no doubt who has set up this idol. It was Nebuchadnezzar. A second observation connected to the first is the presence of lists. We have lists of government officials and lists of instruments. 
There are two elements these lists add to the story that I want to mention. The first is that they add to the grandeur of the moment. This was no small affair. It was an enormous event. The second is that the lists provide a sort of mechanical element to the story. When we read lists, we read differently. We read them measured in a unique way. There is a rhythm to reading lists, but it's not the rhythm of true freedom as in poetry. It is a stiff and measured reading. The third feature of this story builds off the presence of lists, and that is the mechanical automaton nature of those who worship the idol. As the lists lock us into a patterned rhythm, so do the worshipers do exactly as the idol commands them. Once the music sounds, everyone falls down without hesitation. This notion is not found only in Daniel. We see this in Isaiah 44.9, where Isaiah says, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Again, in Psalm 115, in speaking of idols, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The author is drawing our attention to the damaging effects of idol worship. This is doubly done in the way the proportions of the statue are shown. Notice its ratio. It's a 10 to 1 ratio. This is not at all a normal human measurement and may have, in fact, been placed in the text by the author to draw our attention to the disturbing existence of the idol. Fourth and finally, we are told in verse 7 that all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped. We discussed in week one that the people of God were taken to the land of Shinar. That's where the Tower of Babel was constructed. In a similar way, all nations, peoples, and languages were scattered from Babel. So are all nations, peoples, and languages worshiping before the golden idol. A recollection is taken back to Babel. As we move on to part 2, Daniel 3, 8-15, through 15, our old friends the Chaldeans show up. Remember, they have just been rescued by Daniel and his friends, but now the Chaldeans want them destroyed. It's a painful betrayal, but perhaps not surprising when we consider that they were promoted throughout the kingdom at the end of chapter 2. We see here the power of jealousy and envy, and it makes me think of James 3.16, where it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The fruits of envy and jealousy do not lie dormant in our hearts, but affect the way we treat those around us. What is more, we should view these men as all the other mechanical idol worshippers, as they recite the list of instruments and the punishment for disobeying the king's orders. Where people are worshiping idols and God's people are faithful, we should expect conflict. When Nebuchadnezzar hears the accusations, he is furious. He brings the men before him and asks them if what he has been told is true. And in his questioning, we learn of another victim of idolatry. It is Nebuchadnezzar himself. He repeats the list of instruments and the condemnation for disobeying his command. And then verse 15 ends with a question Nebuchadnezzar intended as rhetorical, but is actually ironical. Who indeed will be able to rescue them? Turning to part 3, Daniel three sixteen through 18, we come to the center of the story. The first 15 verses build up to these middle three, and the final 12 verses descend from these three. There has been a lot of debate among scholars as to what is the appropriate translation of verse 17. The question involves the proper translation of, if our God is able. You can probably see the issue here. Are the three young men questioning God's omnipotence? Are they in doubt as to his ability? Most certainly not, and I'll give two reasons. First, in the first two chapters, we have already seen God's ability to deliver. God has shown his faithfulness. 
Second, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego clue us into their faith in verse 16, where they refuse to answer Nebuchadnezzar's rhetorical question. To the question, who will deliver you out of my hands? They respond, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That is, they are not willing to honor his insulting question with a response. They know who their God is. They know what he is capable of and whether or not they will make it out alive, God will be the final deliverer. The most appropriate translation suggested by one scholar is, if the God whom we serve is able to save us, then he will. That is, quote, the question in the minds of the young men was not whether God had the physical ability to rescue them, but rather using that ability as part of the divine plan, unquote. Ultimately, their loyalty is to God and they will not compromise. Then Nebuchadnezzar responds in part four, Daniel three nineteen through 25, through total fury. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. This could be a linguistic way of saying, make the fire as hot as possible. But we can also acknowledge the mirroring that occurs to the seven mentions of Nebuchadnezzar setting up the idol in the first seven verses, which could insinuate the more intense the idolatry, the more intense the punishment of faithfulness. Two examples of irony arise. First, Nebuchadnezzar has them bound. Maybe he was a little scared. Maybe he remembered that their God had interpreted his dream and he wanted to tie them up just in case. Whatever the reason, it seems peculiar to tie up someone before throwing them into an unfathomably hot furnace. Second, his own men are killed in the heat of the fire. While he was trying to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he couldn't even protect his own men. This becomes particularly ironic once Nebuchadnezzar sees that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are alive and unhurt, walking around in the fire in the company of an angel. There have been some throughout history who have wanted to identify this fourth man as the pre-incarnate Christ. But while such an idea is intriguing, there doesn't seem to be much linguistic connection between this individual in chapter 3 and the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. Nebuchadnezzar is most likely speaking out of his polytheistic context. Now we come to our final section. Part 5, Daniel three twenty-six through 30. Nebuchadnezzar approaches the furnace and calls out to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He and all his officials gather around and notice the complete protection these men experienced. This amazes Nebuchadnezzar, and he, in what is certainly a strange twist, praises them for not worshiping him and instead remaining faithful to their God. The chapter closes with the God of the Israelites being acknowledged publicly throughout Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar threatening to dismember individuals and raise homes if the name of God is insulted. Punishment for insulting God in chapter 3 mirrors the punishment for not accurately interpreting the king's dreams in chapter 2. And lastly, the men are further promoted, something that surely infuriated the Chaldeans. As we close out, I want to leave us with a few thoughts. First, God did not rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace. Rather, he sends his angel into the furnace to bring them out. God goes with us into the fires and trials of life. We see this in the New Testament with Jesus when his disciples are sent into the storm. Jesus goes with them into the storm. Jesus sent them into the storm, and he was with them in the midst of the storm to rescue them out. So he is with us. Second is a question. 
In a world obsessed with idols of power and influence, how do we respond? How does the Christian respond appropriately to power? Power is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it must be wielded wisely by the Christian. Third, the greater the idolatry, the greater the cost of faithfulness. The more people in our world worship false gods, the more intolerable will be the worship of the true God, for the true God is a threat to these idols. This should lead us to expect persecution for following Jesus and also cause us to have compassion on those who do not know our great God. And so let our actions and the way we speak of our God be salt and light in the world. That does it for part three of our Bible study in the book of Daniel. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week for Daniel 4.